Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking about the seven deadly sins. In fact, we're going to be looking back at a message that Pastor Joe Schimmel did regarding the seven deadly sins and just taking a look at them as an overall view because the message you're going to be hearing is an introductory message to a series that Joe did on the seven deadly sins. And so before, I guess before we really get into some of the clips you're going to see and hear Joe preaching on the subject, I want to read through them because there are a lot of different I guess you could say there's a lot of different camps in terms of what people think the seven deadly sins are, including the Catholic Church that has their own seven, and I think they've even added some more onto that, or whether it's not movies like Seven, where you had the serial killer killing people that were practicing these sins and so forth. But nonetheless, the Bible actually gives us the seven deadly sins, or abominable sins, as we see the Scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 6, starting at verse 16. In verse 16, it says, these, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. And there's different viewpoints on the literary device being used going from six to seven there. Some would say that going from six to seven is just pointing out the fact six to seven, hey, this is serious, this is important. And some would say, hey, actually, it's pointing to that seventh one, which when we get to it, you'll see is, and one who spreads strife among brothers. And this makes sense when you can when you consider in the New Testament, the ver- the word we have heresy, factions, translated that in Galatians 5.20 and in 2 Peter 2.1 when it talks about abominable uh, factions and so forth and abominable heresies. Uh, so, so we could see how you, that could be used there. But nonetheless, there's a reason we're getting into specifics here when God opens up his word for us in our hearts and in our eyes and says, hey, this is well, these are sins that you really should pay attention to. And so let's just read through them. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among the brothers. Now, there are plenty of sins that God absolutely hates. You cannot get around that. God hates sin. But we need to look at why is God being specific here concerning this text and how we're supposed to read it in our own walks with Christ. And when we look out into the world, as we look out into this world with kingdom-minded glasses that are obviously clean out the fog with the Word of God so that we can see things properly. So we're going to listen to this first clip where Joe talks about why these specific sins are mentioned in the text. There's the seven abominable, hateful, deadly sins that God mentions in the book of Proverbs. And by the way, these are mentioned because these are some of the most destructive things that you'll come across in life. And these are things that we are all in danger of succumbing to if we do not submit to the Spirit of God and allow God to take over our lives. 
So as we look at this, it's important that you and I understand that if these sins characterize our lives, we're in trouble because God hates these sins. He hates them. And God does hate, you know. Uh, and and it, it blows me away when people say, oh, God doesn't hate anything. God just, God just loves. God's a God of love, therefore he doesn't hate anything. But you know what? What kind of love are you talking about? If God is truly a, a God of love, who truly cares about people, who cares about people so much he doesn't want to see them to be destroyed, he's going to hate that which is evil and that which would destroy those he loves. Do you understand that? That's why he hates evil. Not because he's a God of hate, but because why? Because he is a God of love, and that's why its corollary is, is hate. He must hate evil. Now, the tragic thing is, we as humans have chosen evil. We were created upright. It says in Ecclesiastes, he created everyone upright. In fact, in, uh, if you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, when he makes man, he says everything's good, and then when he makes man, he says he's very good. He adores his creation. We're made in his image. Yet man turned from him in rebellion. Isn't that true? And rebelled against the true and living God. And we become rebels. We become his enemies. Jesus said, he that's not with me is what? Against me. We've waged war against him by rejecting the very one who created us. When you reject the one who created you to do your own thing, Jesus said, he that's not with me is against me. And the very next part of that verse in Matthew 12, 30, Jesus said, he that does not gather with me, means the kingdom of God, scatters abroad. There's no neutrality. There's no you know, place in the fence. You're either for him or against him. You're either gathering for him or you will have a scattering effect in the lives of others because you have become your own God. And the Bible describes humanity as children of wrath. That's in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4 describes humans as children of wrath, meaning deserving punishment because of their rebellion. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You see, because God is love, just as we know, and come on, we see it all over the place. If, if there was no punishment for evil, and there were no prisons... And we said, ah, no more prison, no more crime, no more courthouses, no more law. There would be complete anarchy and everybody would be destroyed. And we understand that evil must be dealt with if we really care about one another. And since God loves us so much, he has to deal with evil because his nature, God's nature is holy. His nature is righteous. His nature is love. And since he's loving, since he's righteous, since he's holy, he must come against evil. Yeah, I think one of the more important statements there that he's talking about, not just that last one, that God is holy, he's the thrice holy God, but there's a lot of different things, and and whenever I hear Matthew 12, 30, that verse always piques my interest, and the reason why is because it was Matthew 12, 30 that I believe God used to draw me to himself specifically, and the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, it's a gift of God and not by works, lest any man should boast. And then it says that faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And so when I heard those words in Matthew 12, 30, when after I watched they sold their souls to rock and roll and recognized that I wasn't just somebody living in the gray, but I was in darkness. I wasn't just somebody who, hell, you know, well, I just don't really know if God's real and so forth, but really I was an enemy of God. And to find out that is the truth and that Jesus, hey, he's, he, he tries to draws a line and says, 
you are either for me or against me. There is no in-between, and to not make a choice is to make a choice. So anytime I hear that verse, I always uh, it always reminds me of the salvation that Christ has given me. But it also, you have to, have to think about this when, it ta- when he talks about God's wrath or God's holiness or God's anger, or when I think of God's jealousy, people like Oprah said that she thought that was wrong and that God isn't a jealous God. But one of the biggest problems with that is not recognizing godly jealousy. And I would say this, if I didn't care if my wife cheated on me and went with other men, it's probably because I don't really love her. I don't really have a true love for her. But if I found someone was trying to get with my wife, I would be pretty upset. And I would say righteously so. And so we are supposed to be the bride of Christ. And if you're teetering off and trying to go after some passerby, I hope that God would be a jealous God. And that's exactly what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when it comes to his own godly jealousy that he had for the church that he was planning that they were going after another gospel. These things are important. We recognize the true love of God when we also see that he is jealous for us in that regard. And once again, I think this deals with in this next clip what we've been talking about all along, what we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode, and that is in regards to understanding a right jealousy and the difference between human jealousy and a jealousy from God himself. You have to make sure you don't get confused with human hatred. Human hatred is based upon envy, contention, jealousy, pride, you know, all these things, right? God is not a sinner. God is perfectly holy. So when we talk about God's hatred, we're talking about what the Bible describes as a perfect hatred, a holy hatred. In other words, God's hatred is hatred of that which is evil and destructive toward the innocent or toward that which is righteous or toward that which is good or toward his kingdom and his glory or his name. Yeah, I think that is really, really important for us to make that distinction. And I really think you can't really even start this race until we have a proper understanding of the difference between human hatred versus God's hatred. And on the next clip, Joe's going to describe something, and we're going to have to put a link in the description on an episode we recently did on whether or not does it, the statement is true to that believers should love the sinner but hate the sin. And Joe's going to talk a little bit about that, and he goes in depth on here, but not as much as we did in our recent episode. So I am going to have Josh put that link in the description because it is important. I think that's an important teaching for you guys to hear alongside of this one. And we need to see, from as Joe talks about in this clip, whether or not God can simultaneously hate the sinner as well as love them. Psalm chapter 11. Go to chapter 11, please, and look at verse 5. It says, the Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul what? Hates. You know? You know, those who love to destroy others and, and you know, live that way of life, and those who violently are serial murderers out there, God hates it. He not only hates the serial murderers, but he hates what that person's become. You say, oh, good, I'm not a serial murderer. Well, are you trying to hurt people? Are you acting violently toward others and trying to, you know, destroy them? Well, it says right here, you know, and I, I'm one of those guys, I don't like to go to the verse, Bible and read a verse and then explain it away based on some kind of theological bias I have. I submit to all of Scripture. 
God help me wherever I don't, because I want to be absolutely submissive to Scripture, and so should you, amen? And you don't change your theology, or I'm sorry, you don't change your, the Scripture to fit your theology, you change your theology to fit the Scripture, amen? Because who are you? In fact, God comes against those who would mess with His Word. So I have to look at this, and I have to say, okay, God, you not only hate sin, but you hate sinners. But do I throw away the verses that say very clearly that God also loves sinners? No. And you know what? That's what I've seen that people do. I've read articles. I've, I've read books. I've, I've read th- where, they, where they'll say, hey, you know, I read what, something recently where the guy says, well, the Bible clearly says God hates sin over here. And, and, or no, he says, I'm sorry, God clearly says that God hates sinners. So the few places where God speaks of him loving sinners, we must be misunderstanding. Wrong. That's like the, but they're doing the, the same thing a lot of evangelicals are doing, say, hey, God clearly loves sinners in these passages, therefore, the passages say he hates sinners, they just end up ignoring usually. We can't do either. You know, we're not going to be what God wants us to be if we don't understand these fundamental things about his nature and who he is. We won't relate to him properly. And it will cast a shadow over all of our Bible study, over all of our behavior, when we reject the clear revelation of who God is and how he relates to people. And we reject that. It casts a dark shadow over understanding of every other facet of life and not only understanding of every other aspect of who God is and what he wills for us, but the very way we live life. It will affect it in one way or another. That's why having a right perspective of God and a right conception of sin and who God is and of his love and that which he hates is fundamental to you properly relating to him because we're called to love God, but we're also called to what? To fear God. And you can't properly love and fear God if you don't know who he is. Yeah, I think that's really important, knowing who God is. And also, one of the things he's pointing out is that pendulum swinging that takes place. And as he said, somebody says, hey, there's, it's so clear that God hates the sinner, that these verses that say he also loves the sinner, that we need to just think, oh, you know what, we're not understanding those properly. That's not how that works. We need to recognize these things in light of all the scripture and take it all into account together and recognize that God has given us those things that we may know him. As Moses cried out, Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you. We find out who God is and we come to greater relationship with him as we read through his word. As Jesus said in in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, 17, Lord, sanctify them in thy truth that thy word is truth. That's what we need to be and we need to be in these scriptures. We need to go and seek after our God. And so Joe's going to go into this next clip. He's going to go back to Proverbs 6 and specifically talk about whether or not it's just the sin, because a lot of people believe that, that it's just the sin that God hates, or it's this person practicing the sin. And there again, we see in verse 16, there are six things which the Lord hates, verse 16. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. He doesn't just hate the sin your eyes commit, he hates the way your eyes are. He didn't create them to be haughty. He hates how they've become. A lying tongue. He doesn't just hate your lies, he hates your tongue. That's heavy when you think about it. And hands that shed innocent blood. He doesn't hate the fact that you committed certain crimes, he hates those hands that have murdered over and over and over again. He has a burning indignation against those wicked hands. You see, otherwise he wouldn't judge your hands. Otherwise, your hands would be guilty. He'd just say, well, what you did is wrong, but man, I just love your hands. Wrap your bloody hands around me. No, he has to deal with those hands. He has a hatred toward what those hands are doing and what they've become. And it's those hands that will be judged forever in hell. 
Do you understand that? Unless, but wait a second. Did he save people with bloody hands? All the time. All the time. Because he also loves that person. Do you understand? And he wants to save that person from the crimes that they've committed with those hands. And he wants those hands to be yielded over to righteousness and the service of God. Amen. I love that about this specific portion of this message because what Joe's going over is what the Bible describes as the kindness and the severity of God. And one of the beautiful things when it comes to knowing Christ and going through his word is that you see when you are saved that God doesn't just simply leave you in that state of wickedness, but actually what he does is he begins to sanctify you, to grow you more and more in the image of his son. That is the promise of the new creation. And so as those hands, just like mine or maybe yours if you were not saved prior, you know, or whatever, Maybe those hands that were used for wickedness, God's now going to use for his service. And I pray that that could be the truth for all of us. And I pray that when we look at these sins, that we look at them in disgust. And that's how we should look at these abominable sins. That's how we should look at the things that God hates. And I, and I always think about that. That's something I, I do pray, and I pray for my children. Lord, let me hate the things that you hate. Let me love the things that you love. And so I think it's really, really important and Joe's going to go back through the rest of the, the deadly sins here as he digs in and as we keep growing, hopefully, through this message as it gets into our hearts. The next sin on the seven deadly sins, a heart that devises wicked plans. He doesn't just hate the wicked plans, but he's saying he hates what here? The heart. He's come to love the heart that's become wicked. Feet that run rapidly to evil. Wow, he hates the feet, not just the evil they do. Wow. A false witness who utters lies. Here he's not just hating the lies, he's hating who? The false witness. And one who spreads strife among the brothers, not just hating the strife. Specifically, here he's mentioning the one who's spreading the strife. Be warned, brothers and sisters, do not cause division among your brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean you don't speak the truth in love, but you do it with humility and you do it with a restorative type of motive, amen, to try to be a blessing to others. So, wow, that's incredible. I mean, we're looking at several things he hates, and we can, we can have a whole study on just how God does hate sinners. And guess what? We could have a whole study on God also, how God loves sinners. And we've had several of them, haven't we? We've had several of them. Yeah, I mean, those are both important studies, and it's always important to make sure that when we look at God's word, that we're weighing it all in the balance, right? That we're making sure that we're making our assessments through all of God's word and what he has to say. And in this next clip, what Joe is going to go over specifically is what are we called to do when it comes to evil? How are we, who love God, supposed to act when it comes to evil? It's imperative that you and I realize that not only does God hate evil, but we're called to hate evil. Did you know that? We're called to love people, most definitely. We're called to love sinners, most definitely. In fact, don't think, wow, guess what? This, none of this applies to me. There's some who take these verses and they say, well, guess what? Since I'm one of the elect, God never hated me and never hated what I became. and never." No, that's not true. Because God's not partial. And in Psalm 5, where it says he's angry or has indignation toward the wicked every day, guess who that was? Every one of us. 
before we were saved. Amen. We were wicked. And he was angry with us every day too. You know? But also he loved us and wanted to save us from what we'd become and the evil that we were doing. Thank God. But here's one thing you need to understand and I need to understand. That if we truly love God, we will hate evil. Yeah, I think that's a great line. I, I really do. I think that's an important line. If that's all you got from this, you know, I think that's an important line. And one of the things that will happen, hopefully in your life, is when you're hating evil, I, I, th- I think a lot about Ephesians chapter 5, obviously. Uh, 511 News is named after the verse Ephesians 511. And I think about that a lot because we are not supposed to have any fellowship. We're not supposed to have anything in common with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather we're supposed to expose them for what they are. And in that verse, the same words used earlier in the chapter, but in that that next verse in, in Ephesians 5.12, it talks about how shameful it is to even have to speak about these things. But then right after that, we realize quite clearly the reason why we do expose that is so Christ will arise and shine in somebody's hearts. And I know that Job, you know, being obedient to Ephesians 5.11 and exposing the unfruitful works of darkness and they sold their souls to rock and roll was how I came to know Christ. And so I know that that verse, that set of verses, because he was obedient to them, those things are true in my own life. And so Christ did arise and shine in my heart and I came to know the living God. So these things are important that we recognize that and that we do love people and that we can do that simultaneously hating the evil and yet also saying, I still want that person to come to know Christ so that those wicked hands that shed innocent blood can now be turned to God's glory. And now I want you to hear this because it's really interesting, especially for the next two clips you guys are going to hear back to back, because Joe talks about a specific case with a young kid and what the judge that actually was going to sentence him, what that judge said to him was his ultimate problem. I read a case some time back that really caught my eyes. My eyes kind of bugged out for a second. I was like, wow, I can't believe this judge said that. Because this kid, this teenager, had committed the most perverse crimes, murders, and horrific crimes. And in court, he had no, he was cavalier. You ever see those guys in court who commit horrible crimes and they're just very cavalier about it, no big deal? And the judge said from the bench, this, man, this young man, he said, you know the problem with you? is you don't have any fear of God. And that's what happens. You study the fear of God, you'll see people who don't fear God are prone to doing evil. If you're not concerned, if you don't believe you're accountable to God and that, and, and that God is a God that judges righteously and that you could be punished, you will just run headlong into doing whatever you want. But guess what? Just because you don't fear God doesn't mean God's not going to judge you. You can jump off a building and say, I don't believe in gravity. <laughs> Splat. It's still going to happen. You're still going to stand before God. And God's still going to judge you if you don't fear him and you do your own thing. But the Bible, over and over again, I mean, you could do a study. We've done several messages on the fear of God because there's so many verses that deal with the fear of God in the Old and the New Testament. We don't fear him as a bad guy because he's bad or evil. We fear him because we're bad and because he's good. And because he's good and righteous, he has to punish the bad. That's his nature. Amen. And one of the things I think is interesting, we're talking about a case with a younger kid here, And then Joe goes in in this next clip, specifically when we think about Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, regarding the seven deadly sins, it's really interesting when we look back at the rest of the proverb as to who Solomon was specifically writing to. Notice who he's speaking to here. This is Solomon, but who's he teaching? He's teaching his son. Look at chapter 6, the first part of verse 
uh, one, my son, right? Look at the first part of verse three. Do this then, my what? My son. Look at verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Then you go to verse 20, which is at the end. It starts right after the end of those seven things that are an abomination. My son, he's speaking to who? My son, observe the commandment of your father. And do not forsake the teaching of your what? Your mother. What is Solomon, the wise man of the world, teaching his son? That God hates sin. That God hates perversion. And guess what? I hear Christians say they treat the word hate as though it's a dirty word. Don't say the word hate. Son, honey, or daughter, don't, don't use the word hate. Hate's not good. Wrong. You need to teach your children like the wisest man in the world did Solomon. And like God's getting, you know, God has given us his word to know how to teach our children. If you have children, you should be teaching them to hate. In what way? To hate evil. To hate evil. If you love your children, you should be teaching them to hate murder, to hate uh, rape, to hate child molestation, to hate all these different wicked things that are sinful. Because if they don't hate evil, then they're more prone to what? Committing evil. It shouldn't be where they just tolerate evil. Oh, evil is okay. You can get close to it, kind of. No. You want your children to be so adverse to evil that it's something that does not come into their mind readily. And the best way to get your children to hate evil is to teach them to love God and to teach them to fear God. With the fear of the Lord, we do persuade men. And I think that's really, really important to address here when it comes to showing them the difference. And I think it's really, really important for us as believers that we explain to our children that when it comes to the Lord, we believe these things because they're true. We want them to walk in the straight path because it's true. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just some idea. It is true. And I'm hoping, you know, that this is a blessing to you. This is a blessing to you, whether father, sons, or you know, daughters, and so forth, mothers, that this teaching would be a blessing to you. And I'm going to let Joe actually finish out this entire episode because I think the words that he gives here when he explains how God can still love someone that he hates, I think these words right here are the perfect way to end this show on the seven deadly sins. How is it then that God could love me? Because, Joe, I'm guilty. I've done my own thing. I've been proud of heart. I've been doing all these things. that Some of these things you mentioned are on the list of what I do. I'm on the, the list there of the six things that God hates, the seven things that are an abomination to him. I've done a few of those things, man. And I just read in the scripture that he, you know, he, you know, he hates those who are proud of heart. Wow, I'm in trouble. God doesn't love me. I have no hope. Wrong. Because even though God hates sin and he hates what we've chosen to do and become with our lives, God loves you so much. How could he love me? Because God is not just holy and righteous. God is love. 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16 define his essential nature. God is love because he didn't want you to become evil. He gave you freedom to choose evil. You chose it. He says, wrong way. You're destroying yourself. You're choosing away from me. You're destroying yourself and you're destroying others. I've got to punish you. But guess what? I love you so much. I'm going to provide a way for you to be saved. And it's the only way. And the Bible says very clearly, in Titus chapter 2, 
that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. And in chapter 2 and 3, you can look at it, it says the grace of God, it talks about the love of God for all mankind. And the context, there is all mankind. Because if you look at Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he talks about being loving towards those who are malicious, those who are evil, those who are wicked. And he says, for such were some of you, until the kindness of God appeared, you see. So he says, you should, you should remember that when you're ministering to people. And the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And the world there, and we've studied that before, is not elect. Look at 16 through 21. You'll see that these same people he's loving and gives his son for love darkness more than light in the context of that passage. It's clearly the non-elect. It's everyone. God so loved the world. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says, while we were yet sinners, you know, it says that God loved us and sent his son for us. Isn't that interesting? Not after Jesus died, then he loved us. Before he sent his son, for God so loved the world that he gave. He already loved us even while we were sinners. While we were yet sinners, God sent his son to die for us. So even before, some say, well, God's changed his attitude towards us since his son died for us. Wrong. God already loved us before he sent his son. That's why he sent his son. That's what motivated him to send his son was his love for the wicked and the lost. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.